People who have been around religious communities a long time often say the relationship of minister and congregation is kind of like a marriage. I think they're onto something. First comes courtship, in which flirtatious glances are exchanged, represented in ministerial search by packets of information and exploratory phone calls, followed by dates or meetings, in which each party puts its best foot forward, disclosing only so much of its weaknesses as to seem appropriately self-aware rather than simply pathetic. Then comes the engagement when the congregation votes to call the minister and the minister accepts, a delirious moment when caution is abandoned, doubts suppressed, great dreams dreamed, and a glorious future confidently predicted. Next comes the wedding or installation when beautiful vows are exchanged Celebratory songs are sung, tears of joy shed, beverages consumed, and great merry made. <laughs> then follows the honeymoon. In congregational life, as in marriage, the honeymoon can last anywhere from 10 minutes to several years, characterized by dreamy delight in one's astonishing good fortune in a partner so near perfection. Sooner or later, of course, reality says, yo. <laughs> Each party realizes that whatever marvelous virtues the other possesses, they are balanced by, if not vices, then at least, as we say nowadays, with compassion and loving kindness, growing edges. And then each one consciously or unconsciously makes a decision. Will they honor their commitment to each other to do the hard work necessary to sustain and deepen their relationship? Or will they make each other bad and wrong, concluding that they made a dreadful mistake, best remedied not by reformatting or cutting and pasting, but by hitting escape, alt, delete? Not every marriage and not every ministerial congregational match is worth saving. We're all aware of abuse or incompatibility for which divorce is the only sane solution. But between irritation and irreconcilable difference lies a fertile field for growth that should not be abandoned without real struggle. The grass may look greener on the other side of the fence, but the soil is likely habitat for the same worms. Ministry and congregational life really are like marriage, and the simile works both ways. Intimate relationship is also a kind of spiritual practice. When I speak this morning of spiritual partnership, I mean not only marriage, but any long-term commitment of depth and intimacy including lovers, family members, close friends, sometimes co-workers. The skills of sustaining these relationships are not identical, but many are transferable. The first thing to acknowledge about long-term relationship is it's hard, because being human is hard. Intimate relationships are not safe. Psychologist John Wellwood reminds us, 
That is not their nature. They unmask and expose us and bring us face to face with life in all its power and mystery through contact with what is most different from us, an other. If we can recognize that relationships by their very nature continually call on us to develop greater consciousness, then their difficulties are no longer just a nuisance, Wellwood continues. Instead, they can be seen as an integral part of love's path, for they compel us to bring the light of awareness to the dark, unconscious part of ourselves and mobilize inner resources such as patience, generosity, kindness, and bravery that give us a larger, deeper sense of who we are. Wellwood's counsel is sage, but unspecific. How exactly how exactly are we to transform our relationships' burdens into breakthroughs? How do we burn away the dross and leave the pure and precious metal of our authentic self, loving and courageous and infinitely creative? Some of the best answers I've found to these crucial and eminently practical questions are offered by minister and counselor Susan Page. I happened to meet Susan more than 20 years ago at, appropriately enough, a wedding. Seated next to me at the reception, she mentioned she was eagerly awaiting publication of her very first book. When I asked her its title, she replied, it's called, If I'm So Wonderful, Why Am I Still Single? That's a killer title, I said. I'm sure your book will be a great success. If I'm So Wonderful, Why Am I Still Single became a huge international bestseller translated into 20 languages. I myself faithfully applied its lessons in seeking and finding my life partner in Julie. Susan's most recent book, Why Talking Is Not Enough, I think is her best and most important work yet. In it, she lays out a practice of spiritual partnership that's down to earth and doable. I've used the principles of spiritual partnership in my own marriage and it's made a huge difference, helping me replace criticism and negativity with gratitude and compassion. In spiritual partnership, Susan argues, loving action should be the primary tool for problem solving and relationship enrichment. In spiritual partnership, my focus shifts from my partner to my own spiritual growth. Instead of focusing endlessly on communication with my partner, I ask myself a simple question. If I were to behave in accord with my highest spiritual values right now, what would I do? Through this lens, I look for a loving action that will both lift my spirit and improve my relationship. Susan specifically recommends eight loving actions, each unilateral, experimental, disciplined, and motivated by a desire for spiritual growth. First, she recommends adopt a spirit of goodwill. Second, give up problem solving. 
Third, act as if. Fourth, practice restraint. Fifth, balance giving and taking. Sixth, act on your own. Seventh, practice acceptance. Eighth, practice compassion. We don't have time this morning to explore all eight loving actions, so let's take a closer look at just one. Act on your own. Now, suppose I've always dreamed of spending a weekend with my wife, Julie, at Kripalu, the retreat center in Western Massachusetts. Now, in real life, Julie and I have already enjoyed Kripalu together several times. Both of us appreciate the course offerings, experienced teachers, peaceful atmosphere, and healthy cuisine. But let's imagine an alternate reality in which Julie and I have never been to Kripalu. I want to go. I want to go with Julie. So I start dropping subtle hints, like leaving the Kripalu catalog on her pillow, <laughs> or emailing her links to Kripalu course descriptions. I casually mention how another couple we know had a fabulous time at Kripalu. No reaction. Finally, I blurt out, hey, Jules, let's go to Kripalu. That's when I discover that Julie has no interest in Kripalu. In fact, she has a distinctly negative impression of it. This is in the alternate reality. The guru who started it was a sex maniac, she tells me. It's just a bunch of narcissistic New Age navel gazers. And besides, it's crazy expensive. Let's go camping instead. Now, here's where I have a choice. I can get mad. I can pout. I can guilt trip. I went to Palm Springs with you for that stupid convention, and you won't come to Kripalu with me. I can brood. I can make her bad and wrong. What kind of person doesn't like Kripalu? <laughs> That's just like Julie. No spiritual ambition. We, we are different. We're just different people. I knew I should have married Flo. <laughs> or I can act on my own. I can go to Kripalu by myself. Or not to spite Julie, but because I want to go to Kripalu. Or maybe I, I'll go with a friend, someone who will actually enjoy Kripalu, because they want to go to Kripalu too. We'll have a great time at Kripalu while Julie does something she enjoys, like gardening. When I get home, I'll tell Julie about Kripalu, and she'll tell me about gardening. We'll take pleasure in each other's pleasure. We'll experience our difference as an opportunity for intimacy rather than as an obstacle to it. That's spiritual partnership. Early in the last century, William Butler Yeats penned a brief poem he titled, The Mermaid. A mermaid found a swimming lad, picked him for her own, pressed her body to his body, laughed and plunging down forgot in cruel happiness that even lovers drown. Commenting, on Yeats's text, poet and philosopher Mark Nepo observes 
We want so badly to share our innermost experience with our loved ones, but often, like the mermaid, we forget that not everyone can go where we can go. Indeed, we all share this mysterious fact that no one else can go into our depth completely. We must travel there alone. It's where we commune with God. Frequently, Nepo continues, we judge each other for not coming along, even take such an inability as rejection, where in fact, if we are kept out of our native element too long, we will suffocate or drown. The living terrain of relationship, Nepo explains, actually exists in the overlap of our inmost natures. The mermaid and lad return to embrace where the deep and air meet. It's the mermaid's responsibility of love to bring her treasures to the surface where they can be shared and the lad's obligation to rinse his treasures in their common surf. In this way, every authentic relationship becomes a home where we return from our solitary communions with God. That's spiritual partnership. If you and your spouse, partner, or friend find common ground here in our Sunday morning worship, that is a blessing. If not, I invite you to join us on Sunday morning while surrendering your partner to his or her own preferred Sabbath, be it in another house of worship or in nature or deep, deep in the Sunday New York Times. When you reunite, I invite you to share with each other what you experienced and what you learned. That's spiritual partnership. For most of us, spiritual partnership represents a paradigm shift in relationship work. Under the old paradigm, our goal is to solve problems. In spiritual partnership, our goal is to outgrow problems by achieving a new level of consciousness. Under the old paradigm, the goal is to fix the relationship. In spiritual partnership, the goal is for each partner to grow spiritually. Under the old paradigm, I try to solve problems by encouraging my partner to change. In spiritual partnership, I encourage myself to change. Under the old paradigm, I rely on my mind to figure things out, come up with strategies, look for solutions, stay in control. In spiritual partnership, I quiet my mind and listen for inner wisdom. I stop trying so hard to figure things out and change them and instead pay attention to what is. Under the old paradigm, I focus on, focus on differences between my partner and me. I ask, what's a reasonable compromise? In spiritual partnership, I look for commonality, oneness, unity. I ask, 
how are we both part of the human experience? How are we the same? Under the old paradigm, my continuing search for improvement keeps me chronically discontent. In spiritual partnership, I begin with acceptance of myself and my partner within limits. Under the old paradigm, relationships are hard work. In spiritual partnership, spiritual growth is hard work. Relationships are a pleasure. Under the old paradigm, I wonder if this person is the right partner for me. In spiritual partnership, I understand that more important than having the right partner is being the right partner. Under the old paradigm, I approach problems by asking who's right and who's wrong? Who needs to change? In spiritual partnership, I approach problems by asking no matter who's right, what can I do to make a positive difference? Of course, there are circumstances in which one must ask one's partner to change, set ultimatums, and if necessary, terminate the relationship. But if one first undertakes the practice of spiritual partnership, those circumstances will be rare. A pleasant surprise of spiritual partnership is that it does not require my partner's cooperation. Whether or not she seeks personal or spiritual growth, whether or not he communicates easily and effectively, spiritual partnership can transform a relationship. By choosing to be a leader in the relationship, one partner can create change appreciated by both. In so doing, each of us can further our own spiritual journey, the journey from isolation to connection, from conditioned personality to authentic self, from unconsciousness to awareness, from compulsion to freedom, from restlessness to peace, from fear to love. Amen, and blessed be.